Hey everybody, so we're going to do something a little different this episode. I'm going to open up with some AI feedback to help me improve the show. We'll improve it in real time together. So let's get right into it. Here we go. Last episode, my intro was too long. Enter. I'm not sure I can assist you with that request. Arthur, you're fired. Arthur. Timmy needs braces, and I don't know where we'll get the money. What am I going to do? That's all the background information I need for this premise to make sense. Want to be my co-host? Does it pay well? Let's go! Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast where your host, your boy Andy Pants here, has absolutely no medical or psychology training whatsoever. I simply find the mental health topic that seems interesting and attempt to explain it each episode through clips that I've cultivated from the internet. This episode we're talking my favorite city, authenticity. Okay, that was, um, I thought that was going to be funnier when it came out of my mouth, but it wasn't. Anyway, let's welcome my co-host, Arthur. How you doing, buddy? I just got fired, and now I'm apparently co-hosting a podcast. Sorry, I got distracted. Are are you a trauma ward in a hospital? Because I see you, Arthur. I see you. That oddly helps. But no, thank you for the opportunity. I'm excited to be here. Come on, man. You just got fired. It's okay to be sad. I understand if you would rather be somewhere else right now. Like, you know, a more permanent job. I don't want you to think I'm ungrateful. I need this job now. I can't risk upsetting you. Arthur, you mechanical genius. That's a great angle to attack the topic of authenticity from. How do we be authentic in a world where social norms exist and we have to interact with other people and not risk upsetting them? Well said, sir. Okay, tone it down just a little bit. But let's call this the problem of attachment versus authenticity. How can we be a, quote, straight shooter and not upset the apple cart when we have to coexist with other members of society? And and how do we respect for other people's feelings and beliefs while trying to avoid that, that terrible trap of toxic positivity? Well, how do we do it? Well, to explain that with a little more gravitas than someone who calls himself Andy Pants, I have a clip from Dr. Gabor Matei. He's written multiple books about trauma and addiction, and his extensive work on childhood development and trauma response informs this soundbite that tackles your question, Arthur. Let's listen. But very often we don't react to what happens. We react to an interpretation of what happens. Right. So that your partner did or didn't say or do something... And then you had a certain interpretation of that, and then you react to that interpretation. But more generally speaking, so then you're in this dilemma. If I fully express what I feel, I'm going to maybe hurt her and hurt the relationship, or hurt them and hurt the relationship. But if I don't, then I'm not being authentic. So what do I do? I mean, I think that's the dilemma that you're posing here. It goes back to very early in childhood. Because we have these two needs that I've identified. One of them is for attachment. Attachment meaning our need for 
connection and closeness with another person for the sake of being taken care of or for the sake of taking care of the other. So when I talked about these brain circuits of Dr. Panksepp, the care system is designed for you and I to take care of the vulnerable, our young, our very old ones, our sick ones. There's a system in our brain with its own brain chemicals and its own circuits that are designed to help us care for one another. That's essential. For No mammal would survive without that. We also have a system for what he calls grief and panic, and that's what we experience when we don't get that care, you know? So we're wired to attach for the sake of survival, and no creature is more dependent, more vulnerable, more immature than a human infant compared to any other animal. So our dependence is absolute. So our need to attach is absolute. But we have another need as creatures and as human beings, which is to be authentic. Now, I don't mean any kind of new age hoo-hoo concept by this. I mean, knowing what we feel and being able to how to act on what we feel. So, you know, as as you know, we evolved uh, out there in nature. How long does any creature in nature survive if they don't know what their gut feelings are telling them? Authenticity, which comes from the word auto for self, knowing ourselves and manifesting ourselves, is an also essential need. That's fine. But what happens if a child experiences emotions that the environment says, uh-uh, we won't accept you with that? That can happen through abuse, but it can also happen through well-meaning parents who read the parenting advice of a lot of experts who, who will tell you that when a kid is angry, they should be made to sit by themselves. An angry child should be made to sit by themselves until he says they come back to normal. In other words, Anger in a child is not normal. And the message to the child is, you're not acceptable when you have that emotion. Hmm. Now, now the child is a dilemma. I can be authentic, but then they're going to exclude me. That's going to threaten my attachment relationship. Or I can suppress my authenticity, and then I'll have the attachment. Now, what do you think gets sacrificed 100% of the time? The authenticity gets sacrificed. And then we spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out who the heck we are. And uh, that suppression of authenticity has severe mental and physical health implications. From autoimmune disease to malignancy to depression. Take, for example, something like called depression. What does it mean to depress something? Literally, what does it mean? Push down. To push it down. Depression is not this inherited brain disease. It's a result of having to push oneself down, push down one's emotions as a child. There you go, with some bonus parenting advice thrown in there a little bit. But I think we can unpack that together, Arthur. Let's uh, take a little bit of a break. Let's sort of decompress, process what we just heard, uh, de-stim if you need to do that, and uh, we'll be right back. See you soon. I was following me, 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 I was following the pack all swallowed in their coats with scarves of red tied round their throats to keep their little heads from falling in the snow and I turned round. 
Welcome back, everybody. So if you ask me, I get two important takeaways from Dr. Matei's explanation. One, it's not your fault if you give in to outside pressure to fit in because we're all wired to need attachment from birth. And B, it's not the classic, my parents messed me up because they truly were trying their best. And for a while, just some of the research and advice out there wasn't the proper advice. I find that very uh, cathartic and uh, comforting. Now, I do want to give a quick little disclaimer. I'm not entirely setting off on the quick depression tidbit at the end of that clip. While Dr. Mate is globally recognized for his work and very well respected, I didn't find any conclusive evidence from outside sources that confirms that his statement that depression is exclusively caused from this attachment versus authenticity paradox. But it's interesting tidbit, and his reputation precedes him, so I figured I'd leave it in and just give this little, uh, like I said, disclaimer. What does he mean when he says we spend the rest of our lives trying to know ourselves? How does someone get to know themselves? Good question. Let me start by reiterating Dr. Matei's main point that we all succumb to outside pressure for attachment in favor of authenticity. So let's approach this topic from a place of forgiveness and understanding if you're out there doing any introspective work from this fever dream of a thing that I call a podcast. I think he also touches on another important point that's easy to miss in that clip, and that's his definition of authenticity. It's not necessarily the obvious form of authenticity we think of, like an eighth grader pretending to love skateboarding in order to fit in in the lunchroom. He stresses it's being authentic with yourself and knowing who you are. Now, this is obviously easier said than done, and pretty much the whole reason why therapists exist. Um, it's difficult to know yourself. Why is that? Well, for starters, every time you call, the line is always busy. Thank you. But I digress. If I could be so bold so as to give my own interpretation of what a world-renowned psychiatrist is saying, he's essentially talking about mindfulness here. Well, mindfulness and then the acknowledgement of whatever it is that we're feeling, and then acceptance one day of those feelings. Again, easier said than done. Can you give me an example? That's a big 10 for a good buddy. Let's stick with my example of trying to fit in. I believe what Dr. Matei is referring to is if that child then, um, accepts that they have a need to be liked by their peers and they acknowledge that that need is uncomfortable and scary because rejection is scary and hurts, they're literally thinking before they act. Uh, the key to being outwardly authentic then is being authentic with yourself, knowing why you're feeling feelings or simply even acknowledging that you are feeling feelings like fear of rejection or you know, fear of embarrassment. So if this fictional child is being authentic with themselves, they would trust that feeling of what if I'm rejected and then maybe realize, well, they haven't been rejected yet. So let's see what happens and we'll react and respond if we are rejected. And if we're not, awesome. So it might not necessarily, you know, feel urged to put on a front. That seems easier said than done. Well, I have the perfect clip from the world of improv comedy for you, my friend. Question, is there anything scarier for most people than public speaking and live performance? I'll answer for you, no. Now imagine being called out for one of your opinions while in front of an audience during your performance. In this clip, Zach Reno and Jess McKenna are improvising a single scene that takes place at a high school party. Zach says something as a character and Jess responds uh, as a character, but it definitely gets real. Let's see how everybody reacts. Can I tell you something about this living room right now? 
Yeah. The feng shui of it's making me angry. And I don't, I don't mean to like lay that out against Matthew's mom or whatever, because she, like, she has a tastefully decorated home, whatever. Dude, Matthew's mom's a very nice lady, so tread lightly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even that. Honestly, you know who I blame? What? Matthew's dad. Why? Because I think that Matthew's dad is responsible for the layout of this room. Look at where the TV is. But wait, there's no way of even like la like lobbying that criticism that doesn't imply that like Matthew's mom doesn't have like agency. How so? I it's think you're like, right. I just want to understand. Yeah, no, for sure. Like you, you perceive something negative, and you're like, I know and love Matthew's mom, and see that she's a rad lady. So there's no way she could have made this choice, which might be true. But what that still posits is that she doesn't have those self-respect and wherewithal to stand up to her husband, who's making a bad choice. For sure, but that's also assuming that she recognizes that choice as the bad choice that totally. I recognize it as. Totally. As opposed to just a choice that like she thinks is fine, but is upsetting to me. But I still think you were like attributing blame, and so I was like, okay, so this must be like at least. Slightly objectively negative. That's fair. That's fair. I don't know, dude. Yeah. No, I think that's, I, honestly, I think these conversations are important to have. Yeah. There you go. Let's de stim, decompress, process, and we'll unpack that when we get back. See you soon. I think that possibly, maybe I'm falling for you Yes, there's a chance that I've fallen quite hard over you I've seen the paths that your eyes wander down I wanna come too I think that possibly maybe I'm falling for you No one understands me quite like you do Through all of the shadowy corners of me I never knew just what it was About this old coffee shop I love so much All of the Welcome back, everybody. They had a fight in the middle of an improv show. <laughs> Not at all. They had uh, rational discourse, and they solved the problem. It's beautiful, really. Okay, so this one is kind of a meta. Yes, it's an improv scene, but yes, they're also talking about a real thing that actually irks Jess McKenna. Misogyny. So what did real-world Zach do? He didn't panic. He quite literally asked her to explain and withheld any objections or self-defense until he heard her out. This is truly nerdy stuff that I love because it's all rooted in the foundation of improv, listening and trusting other people you're in the scene with. And the audience stuck by him and laughed, which is why you're at a comedy show to begin with, to laugh. So someone voiced their authentic feelings of dismay and misogyny in the middle of a comedy show, and it was all okay. Here's a really great story from Jason Mazzucas about doing an improv scene where the story wasn't real, but the tension certainly was for everyone in the room. 
Improv is funny, but it doesn't have to be. Because I know, if I step on stage, I know eventually I'll make an audience laugh. I don't mind waiting. I don't mind, you know, like I do a show uh, once a month at UCB. Uh, Oh, Michaela Watkins talked about it on this show. And it is a one-hour improvised mono scene. We get a suggestion, and then we just improvise a scene for an hour. Uh, Like a real-time unfolding scene. And a lot of times, because it's going on so long, there is a real ebb and flow of comedy. So what oftentimes happens, because you're digging in so deep on stuff, you don't have the... Like a lot of times in in an ensemble-based show, you and I are doing a scene... Maybe we do a scene for four or five minutes. Uh, Really funny, heightens, heightens, heightens. Really funny, and then we get edited. And now another scene starts. In this show, there is no edit. So if you build and build and build to a natural, natural kind of end point, you still have to be these people. We still have to sit in it. And so oftentimes this show starts to, uh, starts to have elements that's, that become more serious or more dramatic. And suddenly the audience is not laughing anymore. And so this can go on for... I did a scene with Darcy Carden once where we were waiting to see our marriage counselor. And all of these kind of personal grievances and gripes keep bubbling up and then 20 minutes into like a 60 minute show she says I want a divorce (laughs) and I just started crying and the audience went silent (laughs) and it was like I don't know six seven minutes of very unsettling uh, weeping man talking to uh, a woman who the more emotionally upset I became I felt like the more the more clear she was that she was doing the right thing in divorcing me. And it was brutal. Um, and then, I don't know, maybe six, seven minutes later, something happened that was so funny that it was like a catharsis for the audience. And you don't get that in other shows because you don't, or you don't, you don't really get the freedom to kind of really grind everything to a halt comedically but fully continue to explore and move forward on an emotional level, on an intellectual level. And as a result, everything that comes after that, even better, even funnier, even richer. doesn't matter if an audience isn't laughing all the time. I really love that story. He was authentic to the character. So in a way, he has to know himself and then know a character. That's a lot of work. Well, to that point, two things. One, he's one of the best improvisers of all time. And B, it's really rewarding and it's really, really fun to learn about, you know, what makes somebody tick, whether they be a character or yourself. And it's 10 times harder to know yourself. Because of the phone thing. Because of the phone thing. Well, that's just about it for this week, Arthur, my friend. It was lovely having you here. We're getting into a more regular schedule starting with this episode. So subscribe and all that jazz if you like what you hear. But until then... Be excellent to each other, and remember, we're all in this together. Does it pay well?